Saturday morning inspection and Merry Christmas. I'm Nick Rudman, joined by a man who really wants to find a new hairbrush in his stocking come Christmas morning. That's Andrew Mice. We are not your typical sports media show. We don't have the big budgets. We don't have the fancy suits. We don't even have the hot takes. But we got to make up for it by working ridiculously hard, doing our research, and being ridiculously good looking. That's right, Nick. Uh, I hope I do find that hairbrush. I've been meaning to get a new one here lately. Uh, but like as you refer to, we're not backed by big sports media. We don't have millions and billions of dollars. All we have is our hard work, determination, and you, our viewers. Yes, you can help us, whether you watch on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify. If you check us out, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it may be, uh, just give us a help, a little help. Uh, drop us a comment, like, subscribe. Uh, as always, on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, we're at Saturday Morning Inspection. On Twitter and Facebook, we're SMI Football Show. And as always, check out our website, smishow.com. Subscribe to our newsletter. Get the latest breaking NFL news delivered right to your inbox before your friends. So uh, you can be ahead of the curb. Be the the big dog around the water cooler. Uh, Tell people what's going on. But without further ado, Nick, we have a fantastic show today. A lot of great stuff happened in the NFL this week and NFL uh, Auxiliary. Uh, Let's get on into it. Uh, You want to hit us up on our first story, our game recap, the Bills versus the Bucks. Right, absolutely. Big show coming. Excited to get into it. Uh, Jumping right into the Bills-Bucks game. This is the Bucks after surrendering a 21-point lead, prevailing overtime 33-27 over the now-flailing Buffalo Bills. But I want to take a step back. And, and really, because the NFL, you know, has been a real week-to-week league. Teams look like contenders one week. They look like pretenders the next week. You know, we're always caught up in the minutia and the day-to-day of how a team played this game or this week or who's the on top for the MVP race or, or whatever it may be. But I think we're, we're kind of losing track of something really, really special here. And that's, as weird as it, as it is saying this, how amazing Tom Brady is at the age of 44. I mean, this, this shouldn't happen. Tom Brady is essentially creating a Hall of Fame career for himself if you only count the years since he turned 40. He's been unbelievable. He leads the league in passing yards. He leads the league in passing touchdowns. He's top five in quarterback rating. Right, He's a guy right now, his team has a great chance to end up with the number one overall seed in the NFC. Odds makers have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the most likely team to reach the Super Bowl out of the NFC this year. This shouldn't happen in sports. When we when we deal with athletes who are north of 40, it, it, it only happens in bursts, and it's a big story, right? When Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas or Phil Mickelson won a major, you know, later in their careers, it was a big deal because they stunk the other nine uh, tournaments or other three majors, but they won one at the end. You know, you know what's the old song? You know, I may not as good, uh, I'm not as, as good I as once I once was. was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. Brady is is it's it's he's not good once; he's good all the time. And, and I think we, we're not really appreciating this because I don't think we'll ever see this again in sports where a guy essentially is 
as good, if not better, as he is at 44, as he was at 22, 23, 24. I mean, this is unbelievable. I remember the first Super Bowl that I was big into watching football was Tom Brady in the early 2000s. I mean, this we're talking 25, 23 years ago. This is unbelievable what he's doing, and I think we really need to appreciate it a little more. I think he even ripped off a, a, a little run there in this game as well. A little quarterback scramble. I think oh, he had yeah. like a 10-yarder or something like that, and when you get up in the age, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, here, here's my favorite comparison. Tom Brady is closer in age to taking Social Security than he is for being a senior in college. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. He's closer to being old enough to get Social Security from the government than about half of his teammates. I like the fact that uh, when Tom Brady was drafted, there are players in the NFL who weren't even born yet. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Or... Or another one is, so Asante Samuel came to the Patriots. Uh, Brady had already been there for three years, four years, actually, I think. Asante Samuel's son was drafted last year by the Chargers. That's crazy. I mean, it's just— He's like playing with second generation. It's unbelievable, right? I mean, he keeps this off long enough. Could he actually beat Cooper Manning in, in an NFL game? Yeah, like, we'll see. I mean, it's, it is unbelievable. And I think it's, it's one of those marvels in the NFL and we're almost kind of used to it. Cause it's, Oh, great. Brady's good again. And Oh yeah, he's good. Yeah. We know he's great. It, it just, this just doesn't happen in sports. Certainly not the NFL, but in sports in general, he's almost transcended the NFL because it's just doesn't, I mean, it's, it doesn't happen. A guy plays to 38, you know, it, it's a huge deal. You know, it, it, Michael, even Michael Jordan at 40, when he was playing with the wizards, he wasn't, I mean, he was good, but he wasn't great. He wasn't at the top of the NBA. Brady's probably going to win the MVP, him or Aaron Rodgers. He's going to win the MVP of the NFL at 44 years old. Absolutely incredible. Just crazy. Um, And this game, as well as the next game on our list, is a great transition period for us. Um, Nick, I have a question for you. Have you ever seen as many close overtime games as we've seen this year? It's been pretty crazy, and maybe I'm just talking for me as a Baltimore fan because every game has been a one-score game, but I feel like there's been a lot of really crazy games this year for some reason, just like the Niners versus Bengals game. Yeah, it's been one of those weird years where there's been so many close games, and I think it's because how competitive the league is. Every team in the AFC has at least four losses. Every team in the NFC now has at least three losses. You know, usually in an NFL season, there's one or two teams that's undefeated real late, or there's one or two teams that, you know, goes 15 and one or 14 and two, right? Usually there's a few teams that are cut above. It's not the case now. It's so close. Like the top is here, you know, the top tier is here, and then everybody else is right there behind them. And, and we saw it again Sunday, like you alluded to with the, the, another, uh, overtime thriller with the 49ers beating the Bengals 26-23 in Cincinnati. And, you know, talking about the middle tier and how the, the league is so close, you know, when I think of Cincinnati, you got to think about what a missed opportunity, you know, the last few weeks have been. You know, I remember, you know, coached as a player growing up, one thing you were always taught is, is you never know when the other team's going to script. You never know when there's going to be a fumble or a drop pass or a deflection. And, you, you know, that's why you always hustle and try hard. And, and you got to be there to take advantage of opportunities because you never know what's going to happen. Two weeks ago, the Bengals were 7-4. and four. 
The Ravens were 8-3, had Lamar Jackson as their starting quarterback. Things were looking pretty good for the Ravens. Bengals were thinking, okay, maybe we can sneak in as a wild card. They get two good, not great teams, the Chargers and then the 49ers at home. They lose both of those games. They trailed by double digits at home by both of those games in the fourth quarter. They came back to make it a game against the 49ers, but still came up short. In the meantime, you got the Ravens have all their injuries. You got the Browns are now dealing with a massive COVID outbreak as they won't, as they're seven and six fighting for their playoff lives. How disappointed is Cincinnati feeling right now, knowing they wasted an opportunity with back-to-back home losses? Uh, yeah, you got to be pretty, pretty disappointed, especially as a fan, especially with, uh, and I say this, being a Baltimore fan, knowing uh, a top-tier Bengals offense, a lot of huge weapons, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, uh, Jamar Chase. Like, they have some bona fide weapons on that offense, and you have the firepower to fire back. Uh, it's just embarrassing that it's gone this, this long. Maybe you just really, truly need to bolster that O-line a little bit better uh, so Burrow isn't running around for his life every play. But other than that, there's really no excuses. So uh, they're gonna have to take a deep look and see uh, if Taylor, um, you know, can find the grit to help them persevere. Maybe they hit a wild card uh, um, position this year, but that's gonna be really tough. And it's a tough division. So every game's a battle when you're playing in the AFC North. It, it is, and I think that's why losing two non-division opponents, the Chargers are good, the 49ers are good, but they're both beatable. And losing to both of them at home, in which they were down by a lot, they, they, they were blown out by the Chargers, came back against the 49ers, still lost, obviously. I think for me, like, because every, I mean, the Ravens aren't going to be this hurt every year. The Browns aren't going to have, you know, COVID outbreaks and Odell Beckham drama, obviously, every year. Well... Well, they may have Baker Mayfield drama. I don't know about Baker yet. But, like, I, I I don't, you know, Cincinnati, this was it, right? This was a good opportunity, you know, for them to maybe win the division and maybe get a home playoff game out of this, right? Because, I, I mean, what are, what are the odds? When are they going to have an AFC where you have the Tennessee Titans who are missing their best player are at the top? The Chiefs have looked very beatable are at the top. The Patriots starting a rookie quarterback are at the top. I mean, the Bengals had a chance to really be right there. This but, was you know. their one chance, I think, to win the division. Uh, Roethlisberger's on the way out. The Steelers suck. Uh, the Browns are floundering. They all obviously had top-tier talent, but they have uh, Odell Beckham drama, Baker Mayfield drama, Baker Mayfield sucks. And Baltimore literally has lost almost every starter on their team. This was the year the Bengals are supposed to win the division, make a little playoff run. Uh, Joe Burrow cements his legacy as you know a great starter there in Cincinnati. But yeah, like you said, they really dropped the ball on this one. Yeah, and I, this is this is going to be tough because I don't think it's ever going to be this easy again. And I think this is a a real case of a of a big missed opportunity for that Cincinnati franchise and and quarterback Joe Burrow. But um. I think I think we're going to you know segue from that using talking about opportunities and the opposite of missing an opportunity. And that's a man who I know you and I are both big fans of. And that's Pat McAfee, host of the Pat McAfee show. News broke uh, this week about the latest dealings with him. Would you uh, I'll let you talk about that if you've got the specifics. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, earlier this week, uh, uh, actually, excuse me, earlier last week, uh, news broke that Pat McAfee has 
reportedly signed a deal, not anywhere exclusive, but as a title sponsor to his extremely popular radio YouTube show, The Pat McAfee Show, with FanDuel for, he says, a quote-unquote laughable or absurd amount of money. Uh, it's been leaked that it was potentially a four-year deal with an opt-out at three years, $120 million, roughly 30 mil a year. This is quarterback money for a punter. Like, this is huge for media people everywhere, alternative sports media, this is what we are looking for. Someone to go out there and get the big bucks as uh, less of a barstool-like conglomerate and more of a single person going out there, making a big show, making a big name for themselves. And I am so proud. Uh, and I I'll let you talk on this too because you're the one that really brought it to my attention where it broke. I not only am proud that he made the big bucks and is true to himself and didn't let anyone buy him out, but I'm proud with what he did with the money that he got. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, that, Nick? I have the specifics on some stuff, but just the generalities. Yeah, so I'll talk about the, the, the deal real quick and why I think it was special and why this is big. And, and there's a couple reasons why. And I encourage everybody, after, of course, you finish this video and like, comment, subscribe to this video and all of our other content, to check out the, the video where McAfee described his situation. And remember, he left the NFL and he went and he talks about this. He went to sports networks. He went to the big media guys saying, hey, do you want me on a show? I want to, you know, I can create some content. They wanted no part of it. They said, you're a punter. We want no part of it, right? Years go by. He works with Barstool. He works with other networks. He creates his own show, creates his own brand, and it's absurdly successful. And this is just a sponsorship deal, right? This isn't like he sold his whole company and his business for $30 million to FanDuel. And he's got, you know, he's a 30 millionaire now, right? This is a four-year deal, obviously rumored at $30 million a year, right? We don't know the specifics. This is only part of what he's created, a big part, mind you, but it, this is just one of his many channels. He has created a massively successful uh, network there, really with his show. And what this shows, right, to, to me and to everybody out there, is you don't need ESPN as a platform to support you. You don't need CBS. You don't need NBC Sports. You don't need any of that. You don't need some corporate uh, big budget, you know, overseer pulling the strings, deciding who gets to be on what and how long to, to see who builds a, a big following. You don't need that anymore. McAfee showed that through creating valuable content that people love and appreciate and are big fans of, you can you can be beyond those networks. And, and like you said, really proves the model for alternative sports media, for individual people and individual shows to find a lot of success without the backing of all those big guys. I think it's it's really incredible. And like you said, being true to himself, uh, when McAfee gets the big bucks, he doles it out in droves to those who supported him. Uh, and I'll, I'll go through the list very quickly. Gave 200000 to his youth soccer team, hundred fifty grand to his youth football league in Plum, Indiana, 150000 to the youth lacrosse team, 100000 to youth wrestling, 100000 to youth basketball, really given back to the community that made him as a human being. Uh, he gave $2 million to the Plum, Pennsylvania High School Athletics. Any sports team that needed money can pull from that fund. Uh, he gave a million dollars to a West Virginia Children's Hospital. He gave a million dollars to his former teammate, 
Peyton Manning's Children Hospital another million dollars to Robert Mathis, another former teammate, and his Gridiron Gang charity helping impo- or troubled youth that don't really have youth sports and get them out into sports, get them away out. Uh, he gave $200,000 to Wish for Our Heroes, $150,000 to the Coburn Place for Safe Haven, $250,000 to his uh, charity, Fur the Brand, a uh, charity that helps out um, animals that need to go through cancer treatment. And he also gave his parents each. They're millionaires now. Uh, it's undisclosed amount of money, but he said at least it was millions of dollars. And every single person on his staff, $250,000 bonus going their way. Truly a generous guy and a guy that I think everybody can look up to and admire what he's been doing. You know, one of the things we always talk about with sports is it's about the players, it's about the game, and it's about the fans. And McAfee has showed that in his show from day one. He gives players a unique platform to come on and talk about things that they want to talk about without having to put up with with the journalism kind of wacky stuff that goes on with some of the big sports media guys. But McAfee has always shown that it's just about the fans, right? And it's it's the fans of his show and it's the fans of him and the people that support him. And by giving back and the way he's done it and the way he's always done it, it, like you said, it's really admirable. And, you know, it's something where, like you said, you feel proud and it's, it's a great relationship. And, you know, it it sets a role model for, for shows like us, of us to try and follow and learn from and, and really aspire to be the way he's done. So it's a big salute and a big hats off to what McAfee has created and, and all the good he's done. Uh, through his show and through his charities and it's it's just an outstanding deal and i pledge right now that when we at saturday morning inspection sign our first million dollar deal we will donate uh over a hundred thousand dollars of that to charity so if you want to go ahead and give us a deal uh we'll we'll make it happen you be you could be part of something special <laughs> absolutely we'll uh we'll, we'll we'll meet with anyone willing to to talk about any deal like that but uh Speaking of turning the page a little bit with someone who's who signed a deal that maybe uh maybe is feeling some regret, the the Urban Meyer story in Jacksonville just continues to get worse and worse. The Jaguars are a terrible team; they're two and eleven. Obviously, early, earlier in the year, Urban Meyer had the mishap after the Cincinnati Bengals game, going back to going back to Columbus, Ohio, and being caught out partying in in the college town. More news, more stories breaking out from uh, Jacksonville over the past week after they lost to Tennessee. Uh, Mize, you want to cover a little bit more on that? Oh, yeah. I have some specifics pulled up. Uh, Sunday morning, this like bombshell of a report came out uh, from NFL media people uh, indicating that Urban Meyer has called out his uh, assistant coaches uh, in an embarrassing fashion in front of the team really just chastised them, said they're not doing enough. They're the reason that they're sucking. Not his fault. It's their fault. Uh, it's also stated that he potentially had a heated exchange with veteran wide receiver Marvin Jones. Um, and if this isn't enough, uh, Urban, there's like locker room turmoil, turmoil against the coaches, turmoil against the players. When he goes to talk to the media uh, about his performance in the past weeks, uh, a news media person asked him about a safety that 
he had a big hand in drafting Andre Sisco and has asked about his playing time and if he will be getting more playing time. And Urban said, yeah, sisco has been playing a little bit, I, I believe. He's been doing pretty good. Sisco played zero snaps last week. He clearly has no idea what's going on with the team. And I don't even think he knows what he's doing as a coach anymore. He's truly lost his way and it's kind of embarrassing at this point. Yeah, so there's a couple things with Urban Meyer. The first thing, we got to talk about how when he showed up, the Jacksonville Jaguars were a disaster. I think they, they had 10, nine of their last 10 seasons were 10 lost seasons. They had one year intermingling in there. That was kind of a miracle year. Other than that, they've been a dumpster fire or dumpster fire of an organization. He goes there. He's not used to that, right? He coached at Florida. He coached at Ohio State. But even when those schools are bad, they still have top five, top 10 talent. You know, just the way they can recruit. He's not used to going into an environment where their mediocre talent, mediocre coaching staff compared to the rest of the organizations he has to compete with. And he clearly was not prepared. Number two, Urban Meyer came to that organization we talked about in our earlier shows. He tried to treat it like it was a college program where he could institute, remember the practices where they would do the crazy competitiveness and they would potentially cut players depending on one-on-one drills and all that kind of stuff. Right, That stuff doesn't fly when you're in the NFL and you've got players on your team who make as much money or more money than you or even players that are close. That may work in college when you're dealing with 18, 19-year-old kids who are scared to death of going back to their hometown failures. It doesn't work when you're dealing with grown men. And he doesn't appear to have changed any of that kind of mindset at all. And it really comes to light when you look at how he treated his coaching staff. Look, NFL coaches, position coaches and coordinators are at the literal top of their profession. These guys are the best coaches in the world by far. They outclass everything you see in college, right? Failed college coaches, you know, don't go to the NFL. Failed NFL coaches get called the next day for for college head coaching jobs. That's how much it's revered, right? An assistant linebackers coach for Baltimore gets called to be a defensive coordinator for Michigan. Like, that's how it works. NFL coaches are cream of the crop. And Urban Meyer to criticize them like that and call them losers is absolutely inexcusable, especially for a guy who's only won two NFL games this far in a season. He's lost all sense of reality. For whatever reason, he thought he would go to Jacksonville and just – it was going to be like Ohio state and they're going to run the table, but no, it's not like it's and, and I really wish that he would take some accountability. He built this coaching staff. He signed the players. He drafted the rookies, take some responsibility. You think you're a winner? Well, you're two and 11 bill Parcells uh, once said you are what your record is. Urban Meyer needs to wake up and realize he is the loser. And I think you're leaving out some valid, uh, credibility on that quote that, uh, Nick Rudman's dad once said, that Bill Parcells once said that you are what your record says you are. And that is absolutely 100% true. And his record is absolutely terrible. And I think he is terrible as an NFL head coach. He's proven in college that he can do it. I, I don't think he's long for this NFL world. But I think the tough part is that the Jaguars buying out his contract won't be that easy. I think there's a lot of uh, nasty language in there that's going to be tough to get through so they may be stuck with urban for as long as urban wants to stick it out yeah and i I think the one concern if if you're the jaguars organization jaguars fan the biggest concern is you know are you wasting the young talent you have on the team you obviously have trevor lawrence right you got some travis Etienne. you got some young guys 
And are you wasting those years of potentially what they could be on a coach that's clearly lost the organization? Like the thing that blows my mind with Urban so much is you have coaches that come in and sometimes they're like real hard on the players and the players don't like them, but the coaching staff is like together. Or you have the opposite where like the coaching staff has turmoil, but the, the, the players, you know, are together. This the, is neither. Urban Meyer has none of that. Like, not only does he not have the coaching staff together or the players together, he also doesn't have the travel coordinator together or any of the support staff because he won't even fly home with them after a game. Like, he is no part of the organization wound together. I don't think I've ever seen just a head coach come in that was so hyped, or any head coach, I don't care how hyped you were, come in and do such a bad job at every level, from his staff to his players to the organization. This has just been a dumpster fire from Urban Meyer, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, the more and more news breaks. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, And like we were talking about, young talent. The Jaguars have a lot of young talent. Trevor Lawrence is a young QB. Big segue show here, big segue show. This helps segue us into our next commentary segment. <clears throat> rookie QB ratings. Now, Nick, we think, hmm, rookie QB ratings... Yeah, there's, there's a good bit of rookie QBs out there. Uh, one to five, you know, passer rating. What are we going to rate them on? No, we want to be in touch with the younger generation. We're hip. We are cool. We're going to rate the rookie QBs with emojis to tell you how cool we really are. And I think this is going to be a great segment, Nick. Why don't you start us off? Let's rate Trey Lance. Yeah, Trey Lance right there. Look, rookie quarterback drafted by San Francisco. Yeah, right? That's all you can do. Just a little, little shrug of the shoulders. He's had one start. He lost it. Uh, but he's looked athletic. He's kind of looked as advertised. Developmental prospect. Big arm. Good athlete. He ran ran well that game. He's ran well in spot duty. He's only completing 52% of his throws, but he isn't really throwing that much. You know, it's a really small sample size. We'll see if he develops. You know, is he Pat Mahomes? You know, is he Mitchell Trubisky? It's too early to tell. So that's why we kind of got a shrug. You know, we'll have to see how it uh, shakes out for him in San Francisco. Yeah, don't know. Too small of a sample size. Shown some flashes, also shown some bad stuff. Um, but, like you said, shrug. We'll see next year. We'll see the year after that uh, how it goes. Next on our list is the young Jacksonville quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, like everything with Jacksonville, Lawrence has been bad. There's no sugarcoating it. He came in highly touted, uh, the most highly ranked quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Uh, Andrew Luck came into a bad Colts uh, franchise uh, coming off losing. Peyton Manning won eight games right out the gate. Actually, I think he won 11 games right out the gate. Um, Jaguars, uh, Trevor Lawrence has already lost 11 games right out of the gate. He has struggled, more interceptions and touchdowns, coming off a bad four-pick game last weekend. I think the real issue with Trevor Lawrence is that he has to do too much. Right now, he's in the top 10 in passing attempts in the league. He's thrown more passes this season than Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, and Ben Roethlisberger. That is astounding for a rookie quarterback that doesn't have much talent around him. I think he has the physical tools, and he shows flashes sometimes. You know, got a big win in a kind of a comeback fashion against the uh, Miami Dolphins in the middle of the year. But he has played poorly. You know, he's in a bad organization. You know, it's been bad. That's why we have the head in the hands, right? It, you you got to look away. But the question is with Lawrence, do you look away because he's he's trying to steer a train that's flying off the tracks, or is he really playing really poorly and maybe potentially heading towards being a bust? 
Yeah, I think Lawrence, uh, he has all the physical tools. He has the uh, pedigree coming out of college and high school to be one of the best. But I don't think anyone's going to be successful in this Jacksonville environment. Uh, I think until they change that or until Lawrence travels on, I think he got a raw deal. Uh, Hopefully that first round, first overall money is treating him well because he's going to have to earn his next paycheck big time, and you're not going to get it playing with Jacksonville. No, and especially in that division, right? I mean, you've got a good Tennessee, well-run Tennessee. Colts are well-run. Houston's kind of a dumpster fire, but still, I mean, it's not like it gets easy for him. It's only going to get harder, and I I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence because I think there's a chance that he just gets beat up and just – just has has not only his career ruined, but really negatively hurt because of the situation he's in in Jacksonville. Kind of like you said, a good comp is Andrew Luck. Someone had all the physical tools, uh, and but he was did well, but he got beat to crap, and now he can't play football anymore. He doesn't want to play football anymore, at least for his health. That's where we might see Lance and or Lawrence ending up. Yeah, potentially. Uh, yeah. So Lance Lawrence. Uh, let's move on to Fields. Justin Fields, uh, the anomaly of the group. Yeah, he's got two emojis, right? Because he goes hot and cold, right? Sometimes he drives you angry with how he plays and with his how good he is, and sometimes he's you know he's kind of cold. He can't complete passes. He can't read defenses. I, you just don't really know with Fields. This is a guy. He's got a better pass rating than Trevor Lawrence. He's done some really good things. He had a great game at Pittsburgh. Brought them back where he got screwed by the refs in the end of that game. Uh, he had that run on fourth down earlier this season against the San Francisco 49ers is one of the highlights of the year. The guy's a dynamic player, uh, uses his legs really well, throws a really nice deep ball. He's got Matt Nagy as a coach who, you know, is a bad environment too. We don't know how well he is with after uh, how Nagy handled Mitch Trubisky. You know, I, I think with uh, Fields, it's kind of, you know, it, it's really kind of blows hot and cold like the emoji says. You know, it could go one way or the other right now. Yeah, I completely agree, and this uh, hot emoji that we chose also could be the angry <clears throat> emoji, and you know why? It's because he shows these flashes, and it makes you angry that they're not utilizing him in a better way, and sometimes he just looks ice cold, looks like a completely different quarterback going out there, uh, but when you give him the bootlegs, when you give him the play actions, the read option plays that he was bred at Ohio State to run, he looks like a, a really top tier quarterback uh coming out of a good system and that's he even played pretty strongly against uh green bay last week he scored 30 points kept it a competitive ish but like we said uh another one where is the environment holding him back who knows but uh we'll see what happens with that yeah, I think the, th- the thing with Fields that really will, will drive how it goes is if GM Ryan Pace for Chicago thinks that Fields has enough potential that Nagy is just screwing up. I think if he keeps Nagy, if, if Pace keeps Nagy as a head coach running that offense with Fields, I think it's worse for Fields. I think they need to bring in somebody else because I watched the Green Bay game just like you did, and I thought Fields played well, but I feel like a lot of it was him kind of scrambling and trying to create things on his own. There wasn't a lot of what I thought was great offensive play calling and execution from the coach side. So when Fields does well, I feel like he's overcoming his coaching, and that's never a good situation to be in as a young quarterback. No, it's not. But the best situation to be in as a young quarterback is the situation Mac Jones has been put into 
absolute fire there in New England. He is lighting it up. Yeah, 70% completion rating, 16 touchdowns, 8 picks. He's 9-4. and four. Right now they're tied for the number one record in the AFC, two-game lead in the division. You know, all the comparisons to Tom Brady aside, he has a chance to finish this season, his rookie year in the NFL, with the higher completion percentage than Tom Brady ever had in any of his years in New England. If that's not unbelievable, I don't know what is. Now, there is the caveat, right? They beat Buffalo in a game where he attempted three passes. So the question has to be asked, is it the scheme? Is it the players that make Daniels, their offensive coordinator, and Bill Belichick have around Mac Jones? Or is it Mac Jones, or is it a little bit of both? Well, I think it's obvious the scheme and the players around him are good, but I think it's a more of a compliment and less of a carry to Mac Jones. I think he compliments the scheme very well. He compliments the other players very well, as they as well compliment him. And together, they can be uberly successful, one of the most powerful teams in the AFC, making a deep run in the playoffs, most likely. We'll see what happens. But Mac Jones in New England looked like a match made in heaven. Yeah, when you look when Mac Jones coming to Alabama, there were three things that really jumped off that made him a first-round pick. It was his accuracy. It was his decision-making with the football. He took care of the football, didn't do a lot of reckless things with it. And he knew how to manage, you know, kind of egos and talent and knew, you know, all right, managing different receivers and tight ends and running backs and running an offense that has a lot of weapons. And that's exactly what New England needed. You know, they gave it, they went out in the offseason, got a lot of weapons on the offensive side of the ball. And Mac Jones came in, he's been accurate, he's made good decisions, and he's distributed the football to all the different weapons they created. He's been everything they wanted and more, I think. So I, it's like you said, I think it's a match made in heaven so far. And finally, last and least, Zach Wilson and the New York Jets. Yeah, yeah this, is the, this is the poop emoji, right? He's been really, really bad. There's no doubt about it. As bad as some guys like maybe Lawrence or Fields have been at times, Zach Wilson takes the cake. Look, here's a guy. He's only won two starts. He's thrown 11 picks to only six touchdowns. But here's the real kicker to me. He's scoring 14 points a game when he starts. But when his backups play, they score almost twice as much. They average closer to 30 when Mike White uh, was the starter for the Jets for those three games. That tells me that there is a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of, there is some talent on the offensive side of the football. They got the wide receiver, the rookie out of Ole Miss. They got Crowder, who's a solid slot receiver. Right? They've got a few players on, you know, on offense where they can move the ball and score points. Zach Wilson just isn't getting it done. He's been shut out. He's been held to three points. He's been held to six points. He's just not scoring. He's turning it over. I mean, he's shown flashes of a few big arms, but if you're the Jets fans right now, after seeing what happened with Sam Darnold, I think right now you got to be worried you've got another bust on your hands. Yeah, I mean, Wilson hasn't been impressive at all. Uh, and like you said, Mike White, who is not a top-tier quarterback by any means, even if he thinks he is, um, he was competent in that offense. Now, is the offense too complicated for Zach Wilson? Does he not understand it well enough? I don't know, but it's not a good sign that your backup can come in and understand it better than you can. Um, he hasn't shown any flashes at all, really. Like, the biggest flash we've seen out of the Jets is when Mike White came in the first game to start and blew somebody out of the water for their first win. I mean, it's not looking for good for Wilson and the Jets here. And like we talked about 
a, a few times. Sometimes there's a sunk cost fallacy in first-round talent, just like the Cardinals did with Josh Rosen. This might be time to move on from Wilson, and if he's not the guy, and try to try your hand at another quarterback in next year. Um, you got a couple first-round picks, uh, high picks. You can you can get somebody there, but if you believe in him, you really got to work with him and build him up because he has not been impressive. Well, and I think the problem with the Jets is Salah, Robert Salah, their head coach. He's a defensive guy, so he's going to defer. The offensive coordinator, uh, Michael LaFleur, brother of, of Green Bay head coach. And and I think that is going to be an interesting dynamic. Because LaFleur is not the head coach, I think he's not going to be bold enough for them to go different at quarterback in the offseason. I think Sal is going to want to go defense. And I think the way it's going, Wilson will probably continue to struggle. And we could see a, a situation where in two or three years, the New York Jets find themselves looking for a quarterback again. Unfortunate as it may be. Um, Nick, it is time for one of our favorite segments, our top five segment. Um, this week, why don't you tell the people what we have in store for them? Absolutely. So last week we saw the last college football regular season game. And with that always comes the awarding of the Heisman trophy. So in, in, in line with that thinking in line with that time of year, we just we decided to come up with our top five Heisman winners who played in the NFL. So we're picking the top five players who won the Heisman and had great NFL careers. And Mize, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and go first and do mine. And then we'll Absolutely. You. All right. So I'm going to go number five. And this is running back from Georgia, Herschel Walker. Uh, we got him here in a Cowboys uniform. He played for Dallas in a few years after uh, going to the United States Football League in the 80s. Was a really nice running back for Dallas. Went to a couple Pro Bowls. He is most significantly well-known for the trade Dallas did, sending him to Minnesota for a bunch of draft picks that turned the Cowboys into a dynasty in the early 1990s. Despite that, Herschel Walker played a long time in the NFL. Lost a few years because he played in the USFL prior to that, but had a long, very nice career. Uh, now he's actually running for Senate, too, in Georgia. So big stuff coming out of Herschel Walker, I'm sure, in the future. He's number five on my list of top five Heisman winners. Uh, number four on my list of, of top Heisman winners, I have Paul Horning from Notre Dame. This was a, a name probably not a lot of people know of, but this was one of the guys who made the Green Bay Packers under Vince Lombardi uh, go. He won the Heisman for Notre Dame, got shipped up after being picked by the Green Bay Packers, and they were terrible for a while. They bring in Lombardi. Lombardi needs a guy to run his halfback sweep. So a little NFL history for you. When Lombardi was coaching uh, for the Giants before going to Green Bay, they had Frank Gifford, who they ran sweeps and passes with. They did the same thing with Hornig. Hornig could run the ball. He could throw the ball. He could also kick. He had the NFL record for points in a season for the longest time till LaDainley and Tomlinson broke it with his 30-touchdown season a few years ago. I have Hornig number four on my list. Number three is Tony Dorsett, won the Heisman for Pittsburgh, uh, University of Pittsburgh before playing for Dallas was a great career uh, at Pittsburgh, won the Heisman, won a lot of games for a really, really good program at that time, went to the Cowboys. His first year they win the Super Bowl, that's the impact he had. Went on to have an NFL uh, NFL Hall of Fame career for Dallas, played in a bunch of big games as Dallas did that time period, bunch of big moments, known for his game-breaking running ability, had the first 99-yard touchdown run in NFL history. Tony Dorsett, Hall of Famer, Heisman Trophy, 
He's number three on my list. Number two on my list of the top Heisman Trophy winners in NFL history, this is Barry Sanders. He won the award at Oklahoma State and then was drafted by the Detroit Lions in 1989 and immediately set the NFL on fire. Unfortunately for Barry, he played for a very, very bad Detroit Lions team. Uh, they only made the playoffs a few times. You know, he got a lot of uh, worn down by the end of his career, but always known for big highlights, numerous big seasons, 2,000-yard rushing season, highlight after highlight, unbelievable career in the NFL, first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, I, that's Barry Sanders right here. I got him number two on my list. Number one is a guy, Roger Staubach, quarterback for Dallas. He won the Heisman Trophy uh, at Navy. Look, I, I think Staubach, if, if, if Staubach's story happened today, it would literally be on the cover of ESPN Sports and everything all the time. Because here's a guy who went to the Naval Academy, won the Heisman Trophy, went to Vietnam for five years, came back, played for Dallas, won two Super Bowls, retired as the NFL's all-time leading passer. So to give you an idea, and right, this is a guy who's very, very Christian in his beliefs, very, very, very uh, upfront about that kind of thing all the time. Imagine if Tim Tebow, after winning the Heisman in Florida, went to Iraq for five years, came back, won two Super Bowls, and had a better passer rating than Aaron Rodgers. Wow. That's essentially what Roger Staubach's career was. It was unbelievable. It, it, it will never be repeated again in NFL history. There's no doubt about it. And that's why I have him number one on my list, a guy who was deemed Captain America as his nickname as the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, Roger Staubach. And then here's my underrated Heisman Trophy winner in NFL history. Now, look, this is a guy who never played in the NFL. And the reason he didn't play in the NFL was because he was unfortunately diagnosed with leukemia. This is Ernie Davis running back for Syracuse. He is the first African-American to win the Heisman Trophy in history this he followed up jim brown at syracuse and in some ways was better than jim brown as a running back which is definitely saying something this guy had a really really bright nfl future he was going to be a superstar unfortunately leukemia knocked him down in his early 20s and he, and he died he's not he's a big legend now there's been movies made about him it's an all-time great story and an all-time great player he never had a chance to play in the nfl unfortunately i'm sure he would have been a superstar no doubt about that in my mind uh, and he just misses the cut as my uh, underrated Heisman Trophy winner to play in the NFL. That is a great knit, uh, list there, Nick, as always. Um, but without further ado, I'll get right into my list. Uh, number five for me is George Rogers. Yes, South Carolina Gamecock alumnus, first ever Heisman for the Gamecock, only Heisman winner for the Gamecocks. Uh, this Rogers was such a dynamic player in college, uh, really, really, really powerful runner. And why I have him number five is when he came in his rookie year, he led the NFL in carries yards and yards per game, which is pretty incredible. If you think about it for a rookie to come in and do those kind of things. Um, and also in 1986, uh, Rogers also led the NFL in rushing touchdowns. So he was a pretty good player in the NFL, uh, to say the least. He played for the Redskins, the Saints, um, a couple other teams. But that is my number five. My number four, somebody we all know, we all love, Doug Flutie. Maybe he was a better college player than he was pro, but nonetheless, that does not stop us from loving Doug Flutie, the original undersized quarterback who went out and did it all. 
Uh, he won the Heisman in 1984 for Boston College. We all remember his Hail Mary pass. Um, Doug Flutie was drafted 285th overall by Los Angeles Rams, but he never played for the Rams and actually uh, went over to the Buffalo Bills, where he was known uh, most for. Uh, in 1998, he was elected to the Pro Bowl, and that same year, he also won NFL Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, Doug Flutie is synonymous with the word tough. He endured 107 sacks in his NFL career. Uh, he was a guy that took a beating and kept on ticking. Uh, Doug Flutie, my number four Heisman winner uh, who played in the NFL. Moving on to number three, another quarterback. Uh, I'm starting my Ravens. You had your run on uh, on Dallas players. I'm going to start my run on Ravens players. Former Ravens quarterback. He may have played for some other teams, but that's who I like to think of him about. Vinny Testaverde, also the tie-in with Baltimore Miami players, uh, won the Heisman at the University of Miami in 1986. Uh, he was the number one overall pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, he had a long career, played for the Bucks, the Browns, Ravens, Jets, Cowboys, Jets again, Patriots, and the Panthers, where he finally retired. Uh, he was two-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, uh, and he was just a general run-and-gun type passer. Uh, Testaverde was very, very fun to watch as a player, um, and that's why he's on my list. In my number two spot, though, another player, uh, as we all know, Baltimore Ravens legend Ricky Williams. So uh, some of us might think that he played for Miami, but he actually ended out his career in Baltimore. <clears throat> so fun fact, uh, he wore number 34 there, and that's how that's how I have him pictured here. But Ricky Williams was actually one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, his career in uh, New Orleans and Miami, he truly was somebody special. Just like Barry Sanders, he walked away from the game early due to completely different reasons. I, unfair drug testing practices, I guess, is what he akin it to. But he was a superstar at the University of Texas where he won the Heisman in 1998. Uh, he was the number five overall draft pick. In the best year in Williams' career, uh, he was selected to the Pro Bowl. He was an All-Pro, led the NFL in rushing, and was the Pro Bowl MVP. Uh, he's rushed for over 10,000 yards, and... Ricky Williams, truly, truly a great running back, just like Barry Sanders. Wish he would have played longer, but love him to death. That is my number two player. Now, number one, you're thinking, hmm, Ravens, Ravens, Ravens. Who could he have picked? Of course, my number one Heisman player that plays in the NFL has got to be Lamar Jackson. I mean, Lamar's a bona fide superstar. He's already won MVP been voted to the Pro Bowl almost every year he's been in the NFL. All pro nods. Uh, set NFL rushing records. Has his offense that he pioneered, or that was pioneered for him, rather. Uh, set the NFL total rushing record. Uh, I mean, he's breaking records left and right. This year, he's carrying uh, a round of fourth-string practice squad players, and we're still the first seed in the AFC North. Lamar Jackson is one of the most special players anybody has ever seen, 
And I think for that reason is why I have him as number one on my list of Heisman players in the NFL. Uh, finally, for my honorable mention, I have another uh, different sort of pick. Uh, running back from Detroit, Billy Sims. Uh, Billy Sims was a guy who <clears throat> he played at the University of Oklahoma uh, 1978 won the Heisman. Uh, he also got he was attending Oklahoma to get his master's degree. Something I thought was pretty cool. You don't see a lot of players go for post secondary or uh, education like that. Uh, leave high school, go to college, get their degree, and then go back and try to further after that into grad school. Um, so I think that's a, a pretty interesting fact that a lot of people should. Uh, look for in 1980 though the Detroit Lions selected him number one overall uh he's been to numerous pro bowls numerous all pros uh NFL rookie of the year offensive rookie of the year all kinds of accolades Sims was truly a special player but I like the fact that he wasn't just a physical player he's a cerebral player kept his brain sharp and to that I think he's a great example of a Heisman player in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's a great list. And I, I, I think both of us getting our, our underrated guys with, with me, with Ernie Davis, and you with Billy Sims, kind of two uh, sort of outside the lines kind of stories there to, to kind of wrap it up. I think that's good, man. That was a, that was a fun top five. That was, I really like these, but that may have been my favorite uh, so far. Very interesting. And, you know, I, I think this gave us both to shed a little light on our team, show how how well we like to get Heisman players. I I do remember uh, two years ago when Baltimore won, uh, ran the triple Heisman uh, formation, Mark Ingram, Robert Griffin III, and Lamar Jackson all in the same backfield. Uh, crazy, crazy. <clears throat> but nonetheless, Nick, I think we just have pulled off one of the best shows we have ever done. Second only to our mock draft coming a little bit later this week. But... It was a great show. Uh, you have anything left to say to the people? Yeah, great show. And, and as always, we try our best to create good shows for all of our listeners and all of our viewers. So please uh, like, comment, subscribe to this video. Check out our channels, uh, whether on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Check out all of our content. If you like what you see, drop us a like, drop, uh, drop us a comment, uh, subscribe. We really appreciate the feedback as we try and build a better show and create better content for you. Um, you can find us on those platforms. You can also find us on Twitter at SMI Football Show and Facebook as well at SMI Football Show. You can also find us at our website, smishow.com, where you can sign up for our pro football newsletter that we've just recently started. You know, get you, get you caught up on all the latest dealings of going on in the world of the NFL. You know, be the, be the most important, the big guy on campus around the water cooler in the office. Um, as always, I'm Nick Rudman. That's Andrew Mize. Mize, any final thoughts? That's it for me. Uh, hopefully we have another exciting week of football coming up. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody, and we will see you next time.